Hello, I'm Charlotte Rabby and welcome to the Knobbly Knees podcast where we discuss whatever. Okay, so today I wanted to do another uh, solo episode because recently I've been watching a lot of rom-coms and I just wanted to chat about them really and just sort of, I ended up going through my letterbox to see all the rom-coms that I'd watched um, ever and there's quite a few. I I wrote down 35 that I thought were notable enough to possibly be spoken about but I don't think I'm going to manage to get 35 in this individual episode so I might end up doing more than one but I picked a few that I thought that mostly the ones I've watched more recently because my opinions like it's fresh in my mind you know but also the ones that like are quite significant and not just like the little the little shitty ones you know I wanted to do the ones that you've possibly heard of before or have seen before already or you haven't and I could like spill the tea on what's good what's bad and just give you the general vibe for the film and then as we're going through them you'll notice there's quite a few tropes the classic rom-com tropes that will end up recurring actually I, I, I was very specific to make sure it was a rom-com and not more rom or to com you know what I mean um, I looked on, <laughs> I looked up all the films I, I've put down on the list, and I checked their Wikipedia page to see how they would describe it, and most of them are romantic comedies, but a few of them were romantic comedy drama, or romantic comedy sport. There's only one of those, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not a huge person for sports films. Yeah, so, but pretty much all of them are romantic comedies, and I think romantic comedy dramas, there's still, you know, the word romantic comedy is in it, so that counts. Um, I don't think I'm actually going to touch on any of the romantic comedy dramas in this episode anyway, so you will get pure romantic comedies. And I wanted to start with one I've watched quite recently. I've The past few days I've literally been watching a, a rom-com every single night. Um, so yeah, this is one of the ones I've watched more recently, and it's Fifty First Dates. And this was my first time watching this, I'd never seen it before, usually because I sort of... St- steer away from anything that Adam Sandler's involved in which I feel like that's sort of the general consensus now which is kind of unfair to him because he I mean is it though mm, that is the question because he is a good actor and he is a good film film maker I don't know if he's a director but I know he's a producer and he's written some stuff so I don't know about that but he, like you know he's involved in the movie making process he's not just an actor that's what I'm trying to say um, he has his production company. Was it called ha- Happy Madison or something named after one of his films? So I haven't seen many of his stuff, but from the stuff that I have seen, it's sort of you know that sort of like the really like horrible comedies, and so I sort of yeah I don't I haven't watched the two films that everyone says are like his best work, um, being Punch Drunk Love and Uncut Gems. I haven't seen either of them, but I have faith in what everyone has said. You know about him being amazing in them. So, I don't know, with this, the Fifty First Dates, I kind of, it came out in 2004, by the way, and it's co-starring, um, so it's Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore, and they've done a few films together, but this is supposedly one of the best ones, and this is one of his best films, um, a rom-com, and the general plot is that it's set in Hawaii, and Adam Sandler is one of those, like, I can't commit guys who just like hits on all the tourists because that they're not going to stay in the island for long. He meets Drew Barrymore's character 
and he sort of fancies her, whatever. But she has um, short-term memory loss. So, very conveniently, the, the intervals in which her memory works is basically day by day. So every day, he basically approaches her and she doesn't recognise him. And he sort of falls in love with her, but she's she has zero mem- memory of him. So and it's 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 so it's an it's an interesting one because I it's it's sort of like the Groundhog Day concept, of you know just the day repeating itself for her anyway that is the case, um for him so he like tries multiple he uses multiple different methods to try and seduce her within the day, and I don't know with these kind of films where she, her memory she doesn't re- remember him but he obviously has a history with her now because he's been like. I mean, they call it fifty first dates. I'm sure it's around fifty times he approaches every fifty days he approaches her, and I f- it feels kind of exploitative, because she is completely oblivious. But he and he is in that position of c- control. You know, it sort of gives me the same vibes of like, um, a man, or a person, whatever, um, going after somebody who's severely drunk and they're completely sober themselves. It gives me those same kind of vibes, which I I I don't feel 100% comfortable with but they try and sort of like ease you into it in the film by it gets to a point where like he can't they can't keep pretending that it's the same day because she she keeps thinking it's the same day again and again and again um and obviously she doesn't remember the day before that so it's complete she's sort of living in her own little loop but like oblivious to the fact that she's within that loop and then when he finally tells her that she has short-term memory loss and that uh, that they've known each other for however long, or he says to her, like, oh, you're in love with me, or I'm in love with you, whatever. When he does all that, they sort of try and make it sound less sleazy by ma- by having her just completely be fine with it, really. She doesn't seem to mind the fact that this is a man she's only known for 30 minutes, and now they are supposedly in love. And she's, she behaves as if she's in love with him. And they um so I think that that's their way of sort of saying it's not exploitative it's love I guess I think that's what they're trying to do um but if you can look past that which I don't know if you can I it is quite sweet um their love is their love story is kind of cute um the ending wasn't entirely believable I don't know if I want to go into spoiler territory um but it's very idyllic and it's like I, I just can't believe imagine you you wake up and you think it is what whatever date it is that you it's your dad's birthday that's what the case is for her she thinks it's her dad's birthday on October whatever and then you wake up and you're in bloody Antarctica and you find out you're married to bloody Adam Sandler and that you have a kid with him like what imagine waking up to that it's it's kind of insane and then she's just completely fine with it it's really bizarre. Another thing that was kind of um, off-putting about the film, I'm I'm actually dissing it quite a lot. I did quite like the film, by the way. Um, another thing that's kind of iffy about it, though, is Rob Schneider's character. I don't particularly like Rob Schneider, but he seems to be Adam Sandler's best friend because he's in every single one of his goddamn movies. Um, and he plays a Hawaiian character, and so he sort of tans himself, which, of course, is like really, really dodge um problematic and he puts on this accent and he just he just plays such a slimy character and he's not funny at all 
And it's just like, why is he even there? He's supposed to be like the psychic best friend to Adam. But it's just like, you're completely unnecessary as a character. I didn't like it at all, really. Every time he appeared, you just feel sick watching him on screen. I really liked Drew Barrymore, though. She was really good at playing the sort of really innocent, ditzy, um, wide-eyed, perfect kind of girl, you know. I think she did that really well. Um, and she was really sweet. And honestly, the bit of the film that I liked the most was a bit where Adam is... I'm, yeah, I'm going to call him Adam. I don't even remember his his character's name. He sort of serenades... He serenades Drew Barrymore's character with a song that he that's called, like, Forgetful Lucy. And I don't know. I think I'm going to include the clip of the song in this, in this because it's only... It's really short. But I don't know. When he started singing that song, I was like, oh, my God maybe this is, like, legit. Do you know what I mean? It's not just, like, it was Adam Sandler, you know? It was, like, like, oh, this is cute. This is a sweet love story. And then I looked at the letterbox reviews afterwards, and I want to read some of them out, because, honestly, people really don't like that guy. I feel kind of sorry for him. Maybe he's done it to himself. He's done some pretty bad films. Let me read you some of these reviews. I think they were quite funny. The, fir- the most popular one says, I would want to forget dating Adam Sandler, too. Which is kind of mean. She gave it three stars out of five. Actually, there's quite a few people saying they like it. Funny. But they're, but they're saying it in a sort of... like I love this movie. Sue me. I dare you. So it's like... There's clearly some people who compl- who absolutely hate it. And then others who love it to death. And they're sort of clashing there. See, waking up on a boat in Antarctica to find that I married Adam Sandler is my worst nightmare. So, poor guy. <sighs> yeah... And then someone, this is mean, somebody said it's certainly a film. Come on, it wasn't that bad. It's a decent love, um, rom-com. Okay, so yeah, the the reviews seem to be kind of mixed, but I think most people do quite like it. It's one of, it's definitely, when people talk about Adam Sandler films, this is definitely one of the ones they rate quite highly. Um, so I think it was a good rom-com. All right, I just wrote this, so go easy on me. Okay, that was the place. Where at first sight miss We liked each other right away But you didn't remember me the very next day Okay, so the 
the next rom-com I'm going to be discussing is one I watched even more recently, and it's 13 Going On 30, and this one also came out in 2004, so I guess that was the year of the rom-com. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and this one is starring Jennifer Garner, and I don't think I'd ever seen her in anything like in as like a starring role before this. I think that she was, she has like a tiny part in what is it, Dallas Buyers Club and stuff like that, but she's never, I've never seen her in anything, like, that substantial, and all I really knew of her was, um, the fact that she used to be married to Ben Affleck, and they have kids and whatever, and that also she's sort of one of those people on Instagram, you know, those, you know, those white women, the, who are all of the similar kind of age, who, the celebrities, that is, all those actresses, who all just sort of do the same kind of thing, of like, I'm a mom, <clears throat> oh my god, my voice was funny there, <coughs> um she's like i'm a mom it's so difficult oh my god i'm aging ha 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 and all the jokes are about that kind of thing whatever i have kids did you know i have kids and you know her who else like reese witherspoon i don't know i feel like jessica chastain does the same thing but i don't even know if she's a mom but you know what i mean those kinds of people i guess is nicole kidman even on instagram i bet she'd be one of those people as well you know like the pretty little lies type is that what it's called pretty little lies yeah Oh no, Big Little Lies, that's what it is. I mix the two shows up there. Big Little Lies. Yeah, you know the, those kind of, you know, wine mums, one of those. So she gives me those kind of vibes and that's all I really knew of her before this. And um, that was a completely unnecessary tangent, but whatever. Anyway, so she's the main character in this. And the plot is that there's a, there's a 13-year-old girl. It's her, 13, it's her 13th birthday. She's one of those girls who's like not very popular, but she wants to be popular. Um, so she invites all the popular people to her birthday party and, but she also has her best friend who's like this nerdy boy who takes photos and he's a photographer. Um, but like no one really likes him in terms of like the fancy people, the, not fancy, the, um, the popular kids. And, but anyway, so the party goes slightly awry because the popular people are mean and then she wishes that she could be 30 years old. And like when I'm, when I was 13, I did not want to be 30. I wanted to be 20. Who wants to be 30? Jesus Christ, that's depressing. I don't know, maybe that's just how we see it nowadays. Back back into 2004, 30 was a cool age to be, I don't know. But anyway, so she wishes she, she'll turn 30 because with movie magic she ends up waking up and she's 30 years old. But it's not like, it's almost as if there's been a time jump. So she's her 13-year-old conscience has jumped into her 30-year-old self's body. And so she sees, so she gets a view of, like, she gets to see all of a sudden um, what happened to her. Well, she doesn't see it, but she sort of infers or figures it out by being her 30-year-old self, what has happened to her in those in those years in between. And she finds out, oh, she was a popular kid in high school, so she ended up joining those people who are mean to her. And in doing so, she had ba abandoned her, like, nerdy friend the photographer and she's now this is another trope of rom-coms she's now working in one of those like women's magazine places and she's one of those editors there and she's quite ruthless you can tell um you, she discovers that that's who she's become but obviously as a 13 year old she's all innocent and perfect and sort of like you know bringing that youthful i don't know kindness and goodness into the body of a a woman who has clearly lost some of that goodness as the years have gone by for the sake of popularity or whatever. The thing about the trope of the women, the woman who works in, e, in, in the women's magazine kind of arena 
there's another film that I'm going to mention ne- um, soon that also does that and it's I've noticed uh, I've figured out the reason why is because they want the woman to be a girl a girl boss you know they want her to be like she's not a housewife you know she has a job she's a professional um she works in a corporation whatever but at the same time they don't want you to forget the fact that she's a woman she has she is a she's a girly girl this is a chick flight guys so then she works in a magazine that is like a tabloid or some kind of gossip column or something like that uh or she works for like fashion or something like that one of those kinds of things um that's their way of saying she's a woman guys don't forget that because women can't work anywhere else other than in like a fashion magazine but whatever, you know, that's just a thing I noticed and I'll, I'll make more of a point of, about it in the other film that I mentioned. But yeah, so she's she goes into that body and it's sort of like her coming to terms with the fact that the life choices that she made to get to that position. she based, on, on first appearances, it seems that she got everything she wished for at the age of 30. And everything she wanted when she was 13, she managed to achieve. She was popular, she worked at this fashion magazine, whatever. But she's rich, she lives in New York, but then on closer inspection, it's like, you've lost your humanity, you know? Yeah. Whatever. Um, Mark Ruffalo is the the nerdy friend who's a photographer, that's who he grows up to be, and I've never seen the appeal of Mark, like, I've seen him as, uh, he's a nice guy, he seems like, whatever, I'm not a huge Marvel person, so I haven't, like, watched all of his, like, Hulk interviews or whatever. Um, but he seems like a nice guy in other stuff I've seen, and he's a good actor, and I never really saw him as, like, the rom-com lead type, you know, he doesn't give the, that kind of energy, but he was really good, you know, he played that sort of, like, hippie, not hippie, like, hipster, movie buff photographer, you know, that kind of moody, I live in Brooklyn, in, a, like, a tiny apartment, whatever, um, and he did that quite well, and so I could have, I could definitely see the appeal of him and that kind of role and Jennifer Garner obviously because she's playing like a 13 year old essentially even though she's a grown woman she's really good at that sort of like childish excitable nature the you know why do you know what I mean you know that she's like very giddy and smiley very similar to Drew Barrymore's performance actually I, I don't know I thought it was really sweet it's nice the one thing I was a bit unsure about was I mean, this is going into spoiler territory, so you can skip, like, 30 seconds or something, or maybe a minute, if you're not interested. But she makes the decision, she manages to get back to her 13-year-old self after everything that's happened, and she makes the decision to, like, this one decision to, like, not become that popular person she wants to spend her life with, Mark Ruffalo's character, or the child version of it. And then they end up getting married and having kids. They jump to that, where she is 30. But they don't explain what happens in the middle between the ages of 30, uh, 13 to 30. What happens in those... How many years is that? What? Uh, 17 years. They don't explain what happens. Or, like, if she has declared her love for a 13-year-old boy, what, what happens in those 17 years before they decide to have a wedding and move in together? And especially since the reason why she ended up at 30 being really rich and living in New York and working for this in like cool magazine the reason why she managed to do all that was because she was a ruthless bitch really so if she decides not to be that ruthless bitch what kind of a job does that get her and like all those other victories that she had in that other life like what what does that equate to in this life where the only decision she's really made is that she loves this boy do you know what I mean 
Um, so they didn't really answer that, and I don't think they would, because I think that's a bit too much for them. But anyway, um, another cool thing is that at the very beginning of the film, when they're showing the 13-year-olds, a part of the, like, sort of popular girl clique, I noticed a young Brie Larson and a young Ashley Benson. Um, they don't really have speaking roles, I don't think. They might say a few things as an ensemble, but they, it was, like, a really small, it was almost a cameo type thing. It was, it was kind of cute. And... As per every rom-com, there's a musical number, but this one, funnily enough, is a dance as opposed to a song. Usually they're singing, but this time they do a thriller dance. And yeah, I liked the film. I thought it was cute. It was a sweet film. Um, I don't think I'd like to watch Jennifer Garner in anything else, though, because I, I feel like that's the only kind of role she can do, even though I've only ever seen her in this, pretty much. I feel like this is the perfect role for her. She doesn't come across as someone who could do anything else, which is kind of a diss. Sorry to her. Um, I guess that's what you get for being with Ben Affleck. Um, anyway, so yeah, that's 13 going on 30. one I'm gonna discuss is more of a classic it's Pretty Woman which came out in 1990 so it's a what that's a 14 year difference between the other two that I've just discussed and Pretty Woman is starring basically the queen of rom-coms it's Julia Roberts and Richard Gere who my mum likes <laughs> um it's one of those ones where a lot of people have a lot to say about it now looking back on it because it's quite problematic I guess but um, but then there are those people who are just like, you shouldn't hold it to the same standards as today. It's it was a different time. Whatever. Um, it's uh, let me just break down what it's about. It's essentially this woman, Julie Roberts, who is a prostitute, and she gets picked up by this like billionaire businessman, Richard Gere, and he sort of, she's sort of he sort of pays her as an escort to like pretend to be his girlfriend for a week and of course they fall in love within that week and it's like how can a billionaire be with a prostitute how could he she's the lowest of the low um whatever or but they also do the thing where it's like she's not like the other prostitutes she's cool she's quirky you know there's a bit where she's here's the musical bit in it there's the bit where she's in the, the bath in a bubble bath and she's like singing along to a prince song which one kiss kiss by prince she's singing along to it and he just watches her she's her, she's got her eyes closed and she's just like vibing to it and he looks at her and he's like oh my god she's so different she listens to music in the bath no way or whatever i don't know um 
I did kind of like it though, not gonna lie, it's kind of, is it bad for me to say that? It's quite misogynistic and it's very much like pro-capitalism in the way they sort of paint Richard Richard Gere's character. His job is essentially to like buy dying companies and then sell them off to other people. Is it dying companies or is it growing companies? One or the other. He buys companies and then he's, oh no, it is dying company. He buys dying companies, he splits them apart into loads of different bits and pieces i don't really understand the logistics of that and then he sells off the parts to other companies i believe that's what he does and so he's essentially like a a vulture you know if you want to call it that and then he acts all high and mighty when whilst she's the lowly prostitute and things like that you know it's it's not the nicest thing but uh, um you know whatever my mum really likes richard gear and i think lots of like middle-aged older women do quite like him they think he's really charming or whatever let me show you some of the reviews though the reviews on letterbox are a bit wild people are not a fan i say show you i mean read it out to you um directed by gary marshall what else has gary marshall done he's done the princess bride no oh no not the princess bride oh but he did the princess diaries no way gary marshall did the princess diaries those are so good but I'm not counting them as my rom-coms. Anyway. <sighs> anyway. Um, let's have a look at these reviews. Okay, so here's what the first person said. Y'all on Letterbox... Yeah, they said y'all. Y'all on Letterbox writing essays about the ethics of this movie. It's a rom-com that came out 28 years ago. Honestly, who even cares? Um, and that seems to be quite popular. And then someone else is like, where's my sugar daddy? Okay, let me get to the actual ones. Um... Lots of people just simping over Julia Roberts. And to be honest, she's the best part of the movie. Her hair is amazing. I want it. Um, and she, her energy is just generally just great. I'm starting to notice a pattern here. All the women are just generally amazing in, in rom-coms. And usually the men are the ones that are lacking. What does that say about society? Um, <laughs> what is it? The way the feminism leaves my body for over two hours whenever I watch this movie. Okay, so that's how it is. Oh, listen to this one. I don't know, sis. Is it just me or is Richard Gere the creepiest motherfucker? But if he wants to hit me up and pay for the lifestyle I want and and deserve, I won't complain. So people, lots of people here are saying that he's quite creepy in this. And I did kind of get that vibe as well. It was, yeah, a little bit slimy. Um, He's definitely judgmental. Oh, this is someone, someone says this. This is such a sinister relationship. Richard Gere is such an unbearable wanker in this. Don't even get me started. Julia Roberts is an absolute delight, though, as this is... Oh, I can't read. So this has that going for it, I guess. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's kind of mixed. Some people absolutely love it. I think the people that really like it, it's sort of a nostalgia thing as well, because this is one of those, like, all-time classic rom-coms, you know? Um, it's sort of, like, got this sort of rags-to-riches Cinderella vibe to it as well. Um, there's an iconic dress. You know, it's a good rom-com when it has a famous dress in it. And there's this one that Julie Roberts wears, this red dress. And I think it's velvet. She has these white gloves on as well. It's really nice. Um, honestly, she's so great. I, I fell in love with her in this film. Amazing. Um, and... Yeah, I think that's pretty much it. I mean, if you can look past the misogyny and stuff like that, you might like it. But you might just think that Richard Gere is a creep and that this film is only po- is only like loved by your mother. Uh, you know, your mum. Your mum. Um, anyway, <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's Pretty Woman.
Concentrate on finding out what Morris is up to. I'm on my way. Okay, the next one is another Julia Roberts one that came out seven years after, so in 1997, and it's called My Best Friend's Wedding. And this one is sort of like an inversion of like the tr- the sort of tropes of rom-coms in a way, kind of, sort of. And it's essentially Judy Roberts this time doesn't manage to get the guy. And that's sort of the plot twist, really. And I don't think that's much of a spoiler, but whatever. It's sort of building up to it the entire film. So it's not that surprising that, that ends up being the case. But essentially the the whole point of this one is... Julia Roberts, you know those packs that people do in movies? I don't know if people do this in real life, but whatever. It, they, these packs that, like, two best friends make, they're like, if I reach 40 years old, and if we both reach 40 and neither of us are married, we, we'll marry each other, right? You know, one of those things. So she has that with this man that she used to date very briefly, and they're, they've been best friends forever, ever since. And she had this pack with him. And then... And then she finds out that he's about to get married. And for some reason, that's what triggers in her mind. All of a sudden, she's like, wait a second. I love him. I've always loved him. How how am I so stupid? It's only now that he's getting married that she figures this whole thing out. And then she decides that she wants to... And they're getting... And she finds out that he's getting married in, like, a couple days. And then she's like, I only have a couple of days to destroy this... To um, put a stop to this wedding put an end to this wedding um, so that I can win him back or whatever. And so the entire film takes so, takes place during that sort of weekend where she's, she's, at, she's helping out with the wedding because for some reason the bride, who has never met her before, wants her to be her maid of honour or something like that. So she's involved in the process of like planning the wedding and so on. And the entire time she's basically trying to sabotage the two um the bride in this film is played by Cameron Diaz and this is her when she was like much younger and honestly she's one of the best parts of the film the whole point is that Julia Roberts is supposed to be kind of a bitch because she's like just she's does like the horrible horrible stuff to sabotage the the wedding and it's supposed to be funny you know because it's a rom-com but like everything she did infuriated me so much because she's such a bitch in it it's it's painful like I struggle to watch this film honestly the only bits that I kind of liked were the bits where her gay best friend was on screen and this and the gay best friend character was played by uh, Rupert Everett so he's doing this sort of like English gentleman 
but he he's openly gay in it and i i i was quite surprised i guess in 1997 it's not so uncommon but i think this is one of the first instances of the gay best friend trope being used but he's used great he's amazing he's honestly my favorite part of the film whenever he's on screen it's like some kind of relief from all the anger i have towards julia roberts roberts's character it's it's like I guess it's good that they made me hate her, but I don't think I was supposed to hate her as much as I did. Like, I was 100% pro Cameron Diaz's side. And also, I hated the the husband guy as well, because he kept leading Julie Roberts on, and she kept thinking that there was a shot between the two of them, and then he'd shut her down and be like, oh, wait, I'm getting married. Why would you think that I like you? Or whatever. You know, that kind of thing. But it's like, Mate, you're literally, like, flirting with this woman the day before you're getting married to someone else. Just, like, for God's sake. It was just, ugh. And he wasn't even good-looking. He had no personality. They didn't seem to be, like, friends. Like, I'm I'm clearly... I do not recommend this film. I mean, I just for Rupert Everett, I guess. And also, Julie Roberts is pretty, and so is Cameron Diaz. But screw the boyfriend slash husband slash whatever. Best friend. Yeah, he's the best friend, I guess. Because because of the name um I found it really difficult to watch I was it was not enjoyable for me at all I just the whole time I wanted to rip Julie Roberts's hair out even though I love her hair to ruin it for her um there is another song like bit where everyone bursts into song because otherwise it wouldn't be a proper rom-com and this one is by um Rupert Everett's character but he sort of starts the singing and then everyone sort of hops on and what is it that they sing um, the moment I wake up, I forgot about all my makeup. What is that song? I say a little prayer for you. Is it say wherever, whenever? Is it called Say a Little Prayer? What is it? Uh, you know, that song, whatever. Diana Ross, is that who it is? Oh, I could be getting this completely wrong. But anyway, they all break into song and that's kind of fun. I like that bit. And yeah, I, it's, it's, it was, I, I get what they were trying to do because it's like the main character is the homewrecker in a way and she's like the bad guy and it's clear that she's selfish it's not like they're trying to paint julie roberts out to be like a good person like it's very clear that what she's doing is wrong but it's not enjoyable to watch like i'd much rather not watch a film that's dedicated to her character because it's just not an enjoyable character to watch she's just spiteful and jealous the entire time you know so yeah i didn't particularly like that one but if it sounds like some, I don't know, if you like torturing yourself, enjoy, <laughs> I guess. The moment I wake up. <laughs> oh. Before I put on my makeup. I say a little prayer for you. Why comb in my hair now? Why wondering what dress to wear now? <laughs> I say a little prayer for you. Say a little prayer for you, forever and ever, you say my heart. 
So my next one is called How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. This one came out in 2003, so just before 50 First Dates and 13 Going on 30. And this one is starring Kate Hudson and Matthew McConaughey. And this is sort of, this is before the, what some people like to call the reconnaissance, which is like the renaissance, but for Matthew McConaughey. And that's sort of referring to those films he did sort of like, was this in the early 2010s, like Mud, um, Dallas Buyers Club, so on. You know, the ones that, like, he got an Oscar and whatever. Because before that, he had sort of painted himself as Hollywood's leading rom-com man, in a way. And this is one of the films that sort of put him into that sort of box. Yeah, because, yeah, he plays the lead man in this rom-com. It's quite a complicated plot. I don't know how to explain it well. Essentially, so you've got Kate Hudson's character... And this is the one I was referring to earlier when I was saying in 13 going on 30, how they have a woman working in some kind of like gossipy women's magazine thing to like sort of make sure she's doing something feminine. You know, all the women work there. You know, you won't catch a single man working there because only women like to gossip and talk about five ways to put mascara on or something. I don't know. Kate works in one of those places. Um, I guess the reason why that stood out, that stood out to me, the whole that's like a feminine thing you know what I mean the reason why that sort of stood out to me is because in this film it's starkly contrasted with Matthew McConaughey's character and he's also like a business person like working in corporate whatever his job is in advertising but specifically advertising like sports stuff I don't know I can't remember exactly what it is but it's definitely sports related so they show they sort of contrast his office with her office and it's like it's just so like oh my god he's a boy and she's a girl like there's such a clear distinction between the two when there really isn't like only in a rom-com is it like that let's be honest i did like the film though i will say that it was a good film i'll explain the plot it's essentially so kate hudson's character has been told by the editor that she needs to write um told to write an article called how to lose a guy in 10 days in which within those 10 days she basically has to make a man fall in love with her well not fall in like make a guy like fancy her enough and then yeah i guess in love and then she has to do all the sort of dating faux pas that women commonly do to make sure that she has lost him within those 10 days so it's sort of like an inversion of those sort of it's what it's one of those how not to win the guy you know because it's one of those you know it's one of those magazines where it's like how to how to um date who people I, you know what i mean one of those like helpline type things 
and so this is the, all the things that you shouldn't do on when you're dating a guy as opposed to all the things that you should do so that's what she's been asked to do and so she has to go out and find a guy I wonder who that is and she has to make him fall for her and then within those 10 days she has to make basically completely flip the switch and do all the bad stuff that one could possibly do in a relationship like be too clingy be too girly that's essentially what this is it's like how girly can she get and do all the things that annoy him so that she loses him within those 10 days he dumps her that's what her job and then his job is god knows why but within the advertising whatever sports crap he wants to start work, like working with diamonds or something and so he's he's been told by his boss that he needs to make a woman fall in love with him in 10 days what a coincidence eh both of them 10 days and they have to do like the complete opposite of each other and then of course the two of them pick each other yeah they choose each other as their targets and so they're both trying to do opposite things to each other you know what i mean she's trying to doing everything she can to make him repulsed by her and make him dump her and he's doing all that he can to make her fall in love with him and so they're both lying to each other and the entire relationship is based on a lie but of course real feelings get involved because otherwise it's not a rom-com is it a lot of the comedy within it is really cringe but it's intentional of course and it, but it can be a bit hard to watch at times but it's it's it is quite entertaining and light-hearted their lies are quite fun the lies that they sort of oh, she does some other stuff i think she gives like his penis a weird nickname like a really like princess peach or something and he gets really um upset about that the film ends on one of those classic you know rushing to the airport scenes but it's not an airport it's sort of um used against each other they're quite fun it's very much leaning on those stereotypes of what a woman's role is what a man's role is what they're kind of what their behavior is like like he plays po he has poker night with the lads you know and she has a chihuahua and it's a play on that type of trope you know where he's like running to catch the girl but she's about to leave whatever they're both equally their lies to each other are both just as bad as each other you know like so i don't really understand why when they have the big confrontation eventually that they're so annoyed with each other and they they're so hurt with one another because it's like you did something you did just as bad as what she did or or vice versa you know but they both get really angry with each other and it's quite fun that confrontation they do it on a stage and of course it breaks out into song at that moment this time they're singing you're so vain by carly simon is that her name carly simon yeah, it is, isn't it? I think it is. Um, and I like that song anyway, but it's quite funny. And she has a famous dress as well. So just how Julie Roberts had the red one. Kate Hudson gets this yellow dress, which honestly, I don't think it's that good. But people seem to, it's like iconic. I, I think that's about all I have to say about it. It's quite good. I think Matthew McConaughey is pretty decent in this role. It's one of those things, you know, with pretty much every rom-com is gonna, every rom-com that's older than maybe five years is going to have certain stereotypes certain tropes that you make you make you want to like kill yourself um but you sort of have to look past that i mean with tropes i think it's not too bad because it's like oh here we go this is the thing we're all expecting and it's sort of like comfort food you know you recognize it it's it's home almost i actually it's not home but you know what i mean um it's familiar but with certain stereotypes that are just like, oh, this is misogynistic, this is whatever. You sort of have to learn to look past them and just like vibe with the love, you know? And it's quite sweet. It's a nice film. I I did like it. I thought the ending was quite abrupt, though. I didn't expect it to end the way it did, I, like with that particular scene. I thought they could have 
done put a little bit of padding there before they just cut to credits you know but yeah so that's how to lose a guy in 10 days marvin do you know you're so vain that's not one of my songs can you work with me marvin yeah You were walking on to a yacht. You had your, your hat pulled down a real strategically over one eye. You had a scarf, I think it was apricot. Strategically yeah, yeah, one eye. eye in the mirror. As you make sure you had a real cool <laughs> goodbye. goodbye. Yeah. And all the girls think that they'd be a partner. They'd be his partner. Deaf and drunk is not a good combination. No, you you fooled me to win a bet, and you should feel ashamed. Look, you took me to a goddamn Celine Dion concert. You made me miss the big game. Oh, smart guy's a rhymer. Well, do we want everybody to know your love making is lit? Oh, baby, because you named my penis. Yeah, you named my penis. You named my penis after a name. Well, I really think you have to get over that. Come on, you're so vain. So vain. Worst thing I've ever heard. Okay, so this next one, I, I don't know. I guess it kind of is slightly different to the others because it's not all set in America. <laughs> um, and this one's called Leap Year, and it came out in two thousand and ten. Um, this is a bit of a. I'm just gonna go on a little bit of a tangent for a second and just explain when I sort of first got into films it wasn't through watching them per se which is I don't know I guess blasphemy but whatever it was more through my discovery of IMDB IMDB which I don't know how to feel about that it's it's a it's kind of odd but essentially I discovered IMDB when I was in like year four or year five and I would spend hours and hours playing all the games that they had there and doing all the little trivia stuff that they had there and through that I would I'd like learnt of the existence of a bunch of different movies and different actors like their names and directors and whatever and who's been in what film whatever this is not having seen any of these films myself and to be fair I was only like what nine years old I wasn't going to be watching bloody pulp fiction <laughs> uh <laughs> But, you know, so I was doing that a lot. And there are certain films that would come up a lot in my searches, probably by pure coincidence. And one of them was Leap Year, this film, in speci- this film specifically. And it's not, I don't know why that is, because I don't think it's that significant. And I don't think it's one of those rom-coms that everyone re- thinks of when, whenever people think of rom-coms, they're like, oh, Leap Year. It's not, that's not really the case. But I don't know, that was just one of those films that I constantly saw when I would do my intensive imdb like rabbit hole searches you know um but anyway so this film came out in 2010 it's starring one of my favorite actresses amy adams i absolutely love that woman she's amazing she plays an american and she's sort of like a really type a type you know sort of person she's very clean organized precise corporate also i guess kind of and she has a boyfriend of a while. He's also quite like her. And she was expecting him to propose to her, but he didn't. And then he went away to Ireland for a business meeting. 
business trip thing. While he's on his trip, she figures out, she discovers that in Ireland there's a tradition where on leap year, on during leap years on the on the day was it February the twenty ninth, it's tradition for the woman to propose to the man, and so she decides to go. She flies to Ireland to Ireland. She flies to Ireland and then she. I apologize to any Irish listeners. She flies to Ireland and then. But, like, the journey is a nightmare and the film basically turns into a road trip where she's trying to get to... Where is it? Dublin. She tries to get to Dublin so that she can propose to her boyfriend on the 29th. And, obviously, uh, the road trip involves her falling in love with the man who's escorting her there or trying to get her there. And he's Irish. So it's, like, one of those enemies to lovers type thing because, at first, she's not a fan of the sort of Irish country lifestyle you know she's very much like oh my god my louis vuitton bag and so on and he's just like i'm irish i don't know i eat potatoes (laughs) that's probably not it but you know he's just very more like he's like a farmer type character he's chill so they hate each other at first oh it includes it also has the trope of um where two people they don't like each other but they're staying at a place where there's only one bed and they have to share the bed. You know, that classic trope. And honestly, as soon as that happened, I couldn't help but like laugh. It was amazing. Like I, it wasn't one of those things where I was like, oh, it's this trope, Ugh, disgusting. It was like, oh my God. So I'm literally watching a fan fiction here and I'm not mad about it. it is, the film is essentially a massive fanfic. It's a lovable, enemies to lovers, Irish, American fanfic. And so if that's your kind of thing, then you'll love it. Um, of course, I'm, I, I'm really obsessed with Ireland and like Irish culture and everything. So I was really into it. But at the same time, I know that they use a lot of stereotypes. And I know that there are Irish people who find the film actually quite offensive because it's just basically a caricature of Ireland. Especially because the actor, the lead actor, I can't remember his name. The lead, oh, I could look it up and oh, no, I can't be asked. The lead actor who's playing the Irish guy, he's not even Irish, he's actually English. So that's just, like, a kick in the mouth, I guess. But you kind of, you ship the couple because it does, like, all the classic things you want to find in that kind of film. I didn't really... I like how the whole film is based on the premise that she can only do this because she's in Ireland, because it's an Irish tradition, and she can only propose on this one day. Because it's, like... This is 2010, you know, like, no one cares. If you want to propose to your boyfriend, propose to him. It's, like, not a big deal. But that's essentially the thing that the whole film relies on, this one premise. But it's it's kind of a dumb one. Like, in two, I'm pretty sure women were proposing to men in 2010. It wasn't a bad thing, you know. It's just, like, who cares? But, yeah, I really, I really enjoyed it. It was one of the, it was, if, if you're not a fan of, like, fanfic tropes, like the ones I've described, then you probably wouldn't like it because it ticks all the boxes. It's incredibly predictable. But for me, it's predictable in the nicest way possible. I really enjoyed it. I love Amy Adams. I'll end it on that, really. So yeah, that's Leap Year. Okay, so the next film I'm going to discuss, the next rom-com, it came out in 2005. So this is a year after 13 Going on 30 and 50 First Dates. And it is called The 40-Year-Old Virgin. And this is starring Steve Carell. And it is co-written by Steve Carell and Judd Apatow. And this is Judd Apatow's first um, 
it, this is his directorial debut. And I don't know if you guys are aware of Judd Apatow, who Judd Apatow is, but I'm sure you'll definitely be aware of his work. If I can just like read out some of the stuff he's done. He's basically been in charge of every big comedy that came out in the 2000s, really. Pop star Never Stop Popping, that's got... Andy Samberg and the the Lonely Island people. Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Oh, that's one of the rom-coms I was going to discuss later. So in another episode if I yeah. So, yeah, that's great. <laughs> Knocked up again, Seth Rogen. Trainwreck, another one I was going to discuss. Anchorman 2, blah, 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 blah. what else we got? This is 40. We've got the five-year engagement, another one I wanted to talk about. Jesus Christ, he's basically done all the rom-coms. But and but I think one of the things he's most well known for is having he's he's produced like all the big comedies. Um, I'll read them out. Super bad. Super bad is one of the best comedies ever. Um, the big sick. That's a great rom com actually. Um, Bridesmaids, Anchorman, The King of Staten Island. That came out quite recently. That's the one with Pete Davidson in it. Step Brothers. So a few Will Ferrell projects. Pineapple Express. Another Seth Rogen and James Franco film is having been involved in this tv show called freaks and geeks and it was cancelled after one season but it's like now got like a cult it's a cult classic and it's got a massive following and it's genuinely really really good so if you ever want to watch a tv show that's like relatively short because it's only one season um watch that it's really good freaks and geeks i think that's what made him big anyway so yeah this is judd apatow project but with steve carell in it it's a bit different because it's about a 40-year-old and I don't think you get many rom-coms of the sort of older age, you know, what I'm trying to say. <laughs> um, and because it's, a, as with most Judd Apatow movies, the comedy is, it, it's much more focused on the comedy than it is on the rom, I think. They find much more comedy within the rom. The, co- the the humour is slightly dodgy, you know, it's a bit iffy, you're like, oh, I don't know if that would pass today. Um, I think someone on Letterboxd said it's aggressively 2005 humour, so you can sort of insinuate what that means. I really, really like Steve Carell, he's so good in this, he's amazing, he's the best character in this. But that being said, you know, the supporting cast are really good as well, you've got Seth Rogen, you've got Paul Rudd, who hasn't aged one bit. Who else have you got? Oh, I gotta check. I can't be asked to check, whatever. But there are other really, really good people in it. And I don't think it is, it's it's not as funny as... Like, I wasn't laughing out loud all the time, you know. Actually, I don't think I laughed out loud much, maybe once. <laughs> I don't laugh out loud much with, like, these sort of comedies. But I do appreciate the comedy within them, you know what I mean? Like, I can find something funny without actually laughing at it. So yeah, it, it was it it wasn't the most funny thing in the world, and the plot progression was pretty predictable. It was you you knew what was going to happen, but at the same time, it was it was pretty enjoyable. It's got this famous waxing scene in it where Steve Carell gets his chest waxed, and he's got quite a hairy chest, and his reaction to the wax strip being like torn off his skin every time is quite funny. Um, apparently that was improv. Um, so that was really good. <laughs> that that one bit was really good. Um, I didn't really care for the romantic plot that much. It like I wasn't invested in the couple that much, which I guess is a downfall in a rom com. I don't know. Steve Carell is really lovable in it, and most of the supporting cast are as well. It's it's much more of a sort of like watch it for the jokes than it is watch it for the love story. You know what I mean? 
So, yeah, let me let me read some of the reviews, see if there's anything that people had to say about it that was interesting, good, whatever. Oh, the first, the most popular one is, this must be the scariest horror film for, to straight white men, which is very true. Oh yeah, this one also ends with a massive song and dance. So literally every single bloody rom-com has to have it. And this one ends on like a huge like musical number which is completely unrelated to the entire plot of the film it's just like i'm happy so i'm going to start singing a song which is great i can't remember what the song was um but yeah i do you know what at the end of every single one of these like reviews for each film because all of them seem to have a musical bit in them i'm gonna just like play the clips of the the film where they have that little musical thing in it so you'll have like a little respite from my talking yeah, that's 40-Year-Old Virgin. It's a good film. I really liked it. Actually, did I... It's, 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 a, it's a decent film. <laughs> I'll take that back. It's a decent film. Yep. When the moon is in the seventh house And Jupiter aligns with Mars Then peace will guide the planet so this next one is another classic this is probably if you say to somebody name a rom-com this is probably the one that comes to people's minds first and it's when harry met sally and this came out in 1989 so i this is the oldest one of all the ones that i've discussed so far and it's a nora efron movie and she's sort of like known as like the queen of rom-coms in term uh, she wrote it i don't know if she direct i don't think she did she did not direct this film she wrote it though i believe i hope i got that right yes um it's directed by rob reiner i believe um and this film is starring billy crystal as harry and meg ryan as sally and so you know how earlier i said julia roberts is like you know she's in all the rom-coms she's the rom-com bitch um that I, I think that's probably meg ryan actually meg ryan is sort of i've i've heard a lot of people describe how like her eyes are like the most amazing thing or whatever like they're always glistening or something um i guess that's probably just because i don't know she's hay fever and her eyes are always watering i don't know but they say that they're like special whatever i don't know but people make a big deal out of meg ryan's eyes anyway um <laughs> 
um, this film, yeah, it's starring those two, and the whole sort of concept of the film is that it takes into the consideration the idea of like, can a girl and a boy just be friends, or will it all will there always be this kind of like tension between between them because they could possibly be together? But it's like, obviously, it's ridiculous because I mean, how do the gays manage? You know, <laughs> how like obviously it's possible. I don't know. Maybe it's just straight men that have no self control. But yeah, that's essentially the question that this entire film ponders. And it sort of, it jumps through time. So it, it's like over a long period of time this film happens. Um, where the characters, Harry and Sally, they meet each other and then they don't see each other for years. And then they see each other again. And it's like a catch up. And as time goes by, it's obvious that the two are perfect for each other. La di da. Um, they sort of, they start off kind of enemies and then they become friends. And then of course they end up as lovers. Um, I would just like to say R.I.P. to Billy Crystal's hair. It's actually so upsetting. He's pretty much bald now, I think. Um, but in the film, like his his hairline, whoa, Jesus Christ, you can barely see it. His character is quite pretentious as well. He's sort of like a know-it-all. Whereas Meg Ryan's more of like a, especially at the beginning, she's more kind of ditzy and just like optimistic and, you know, just... she's. I think she's a better, better person than he is. Um, I can't remember exactly how the couple's relationship progresses, but I, I do remember Carrie Fisher, aka Princess Leia, is one of the um one of the supporting actors, and I thought that was just really cool because she's amazing. I really like the outfits that they have, as especially because they're showing time go by, so they're showing how the fashion changes in that time. I re- so that's really cool, and same with like the haircuts and whatever. It's an iconic film, really. Like has loads of famous moments in it one of the most famous ones being like they're in a diner and sally basically explains to harry that most women fake their orgasms and then she does it just there in in the bloody diner in front of everyone like really loud as well and it's incredibly uncomfortable but quite funny as well i i remember thinking it wasn't as predictable as i expected it to be i don't know why because i'd heard so much about the film beforehand just the fact that it was like a classic you know it's the most famous rom-com whatever but i i didn't know much in terms of like the plot and so the way it sort of went did kind of surprise me it wasn't what i had expected but at the same time you know it's a rom-com it ticks all the boxes of a rom-com the chemistry between the two is quite it's pretty good yeah i i enjoyed that just to complete the whole musical number thing that seems to be running in all these films there is a moment where the two of them are in a sort of tech store and they start singing karaoke together um which which is really weird like imagine just like starting to sing in front of like really loud as well in front of everyone in a shop where people are just like browsing for tvs or whatever and you're just like oh i couldn't but yeah they're doing that and then they get interrupted by i think it's harry's ex-girl ex-wife or something something along those lines but anyway i think harry when harry met sally is a great film it's really good um i don't i can't really think of any complaints yeah it's just really enjoyable so yeah sally please report to me Look at this. This is the garbage. You're going to love this. This is a singing machine. Look, you sing the, 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 the lead, and this has the backup and everything. This is from Oklahoma. Here's the lyrics right here. Story with a friend, John. Yes, perfect. Ooh. Chicks and ducks and geese better scurry when I take you out in my surrey. When I take you out in my surrey with the fringe on top. Now you. 
Okay, so the final one I'm going to do is probably my favourite of all the ones that I've discussed so far, and it's Annie Hall, which came out in 1977. It's the oldest of all of the ones that I've discussed. Annie Hall, and it's directed by Woody Allen, and it's also written by Woody Allen. And obviously that's incredibly controversial because he's a disgusting human being. But And it's starring Diane Keaton as Annie Hall, and Woody Allen plays her love interest. And... I, I absolutely love the film. It's so it's so Woody Allen, which I know a lot of people don't like in because it's he's very pretentious, um and very sort of like I'm an artist type filmmaker, you know what I mean? And he always does the same like if you watch a few of his films you realise they're all sort of the same kind of thing. They're all sort of a love letter to New York New York in some way, and they're all sort of like I'm a neurotic Jewish man who is always panicking and always stutters and is like a real guy, you know, I'm shy, I, I'm i embarrassed all the time, you know what I mean? And he, he leans into the sort of Jewish stereotypes a lot, the Jewish-American stereotypes, and so I can understand why people don't like um, this film, I, I, I'm sort of thinking of the negatives a lot more, because I just, I started to read some of the letterbox reviews for this film, just before I started recording this, and it was genuinely kind of upsetting, I didn't expect that many negative reviews, can I, I want to read some of these out to you guys, um, because I genuinely love this film so much, okay, so I'll read the first one out, this whole movie relies on Woody Allen's self-deprecation, but you can tell that to this day, he thinks he's the smartest and funniest writer in Hollywood, and this goddamn movie isn't even good. That's all. That's what they said, which is, I mean, I can, I can see where they're coming from, but at the same time, I, I can't help but really, I'll, I'll explain why I like about it after I've read all this crap first. <laughs> this is, this next one I thought was really interesting, somebody, somebody put down, it was an interview with Orson Welles and if you guys don't know Orson Welles is he was an auteur movie maker he directed Citizen Kane which is our which is said to be like the greatest movie of all time and so he's one of the greatest directors of all time greatest writers greatest actors all of that he does it all he he is the OG like best like great filmmaker essentially and so somebody interviewed Orson Welles it seems asking him about Woody Allen and I thought this is really interesting what he had to say so the first thing he says is I hate Woody Allen physically I dislike that kind of man and then the interviewer says I never understood why have you met him then Orson replies oh yes I can hardly bear to talk to him he has the Chaplin disease referring to Charlie Chaplin that particular combination of arrogance and timidity that sets my teeth on edge and then the interviewer replies He's not arrogant, he's shy. 
And then Orson Welles replies, he is arrogant. Like all people with timid personalities, his arrogance is unlimited. Anyone who speaks quietly and shrivels up in company is unbelievably arrogant. He acts shy, but he's not. He's scared. He hates himself and he loves himself. A very tense situation. It's people like me who have to carry on and pretend to be modest. To me, it's... To me, it's the most embarrassing thing in the world, a man who pre- who presents himself at his worst to get laughs in order to free himself from his hang-ups. Everything he does on screen is therapeutic. And I kind of agree with what he... I agree with what he's saying in terms... Especially at the end with how he sort of presents... Woody Allen likes to present all of his flaws on screen um, in a therapeutic way. Because definitely in this film, I was in a like a... A little film course in school and this is one of the ones that we watched and the teacher that we watched it with he was clearly obsessed with Woody Allen which is quite unhealthy but I'll move on from that and the personal side of things but in terms of the film what he was saying about Annie Hall was that how it's very much like a sort of Freudian exploration of psych like psychoanalysis you know it's very much all about like Thera- like therapy and you know that kind of thing you know disco- discovering why do people do things what is what was what happened in my childhood that made me like this so I can understand why Orson Welles says what he does is therapeutic and but he doesn't seem to like the fact that he does that or that Woody Allen does that but I don't mind I kind of like that kind of thing you know I want to see a breakdown of his psyche I kind of enjoy that um but for some reason, people are perceiving this as sort of self-indulgent. I guess in other Woody Allen films, that's definitely the case, and it's quite insufferable. But in this one, especially because it's one of his earlier films, and one of his first successes, possibly his first, I'm not entirely sure, um, it feels much more genuine in this film. It doesn't feel really pretentious at all. Well, to me, it, well, it does. This is a bit pretentious, however you want to see it, but to me, it does feel much more genuine and, like well-meaning you know it doesn't feel there doesn't seem to be this sort of sinister i love myself i what i'm doing is amazing and even if there is i'd let him think that he's doing good because i think he is doing good you know people's main complaint seems to be that he has self-confidence when he pretends to not have it but i don't think he ever pretends to not have it it's quite blatant that he does you know but the thing is here, Woody Allen likes to play himself in his movies. So when I'm saying when I'm saying he, I'm referring both to the character he plays in the movie and he himself. But anyway, I'll get into the what I like about the film myself. His relationship with Diane Keaton, they're like they they're great together. I watched another one of their films recently. That was a much later one that they did in 1992, three something like that. So it was like 20 years later after this one. And they still have like they have an amazing chemistry, the two of them. Yeah, but I, I I love Diane Keaton, so it's it's kind of upsetting that she's so close with a man like him. If you want to look up all the bad stuff about Woody Allen, you can do that in your own time. I'm gonna mostly discuss the film here. So yeah, the the two of them are great together. She's much more. I think Woody Allen sort of has the persona of a stand up comedian in that you know he he'll tell his whole life story but try and turn it into like a self deprecating joke, you know. And I think the film itself is very inventive in the way it uses the medium. It's not just like a standard film. You know, there are time jumps in it, and there are just like creative things that he does. Where, like for example, there's a scene where the two characters are talking to each other, Annie Hall and his character, which I think is called Alvy Singer or something like that. I'll just call him Woody Allen because it's basically Woody Allen. Let's be honest. And the two characters are talking to each other, Annie Hall and and Woody Allen, and so they'll say a line, but then 
Woody Allen uses subtitles and as they're speaking, but these subtitles aren't just like word for word what those guys are saying. It's what they're actually thinking. So you get the translation of what it is that they're saying, but you with the more genuine like these that's what they're actually thinking, you know, instead of having like a voiceover to tell you their thoughts, they have their subtitles, um, which is kind of cool, quirky. And there are other little things like, for example, there'll be like a freeze frame or something like that. And then Woody Allen will start talking to the audience, like uh, breaking the fourth wall, you know, or and and it'll sort of the entire film will like switch like that and everyone will start talking to the audience um there's a few other things as well i can't exactly remember but it it it's not like your bog standard movie that it it plays with film and the way you can tell a story which i really like it's it makes the film quite exciting um and the sort of neurotic character that woody allen plays I, I, I enjoy it you know he's he's bumbling he sort of doesn't really know what he's doing and I think at this point in his career he's pretty good at it maybe as it goes on it gets as as you watch his later films it's like oh just shut up already grow up you know but in this one I don't know I feel like it it doesn't feel that worn out and battered you know it feels fresh um he's uh, the character Annie Hall, she's an icon. Her fashion sense is amazing. I mean, she basically started a whole wave of like everyone wearing these Ralph Lauren waistcoats and like these like baggy trousers and things like that, whatever. But yeah, that sort of androgynous look that was very much influenced by her um, in this film. Um, definitely like a Ralph Lauren thing as well. I think that did wonders for the fashion company. Um, there are cameos by Jeff Goldblum when he was like really young before he was a big star himself. And he has like a really small cameo in it. And then also one of the supporting characters is Paul Simon from Simon and Garfunkel, which I thought was one of the weirdest things ever. I would never have like anticipated that um, of all people, him. But he's great in it. And he plays like one of those sort of L.A. producer types, you know, those sort of bleh kind of people. And obviously the film sort of explores the dynamic of like New York versus L.A., which is better. Um, obviously, Woody Allen prefers New York. Obviously. I, I thought it was genuinely funny and quite, I, I don't know if I want to say the word quirky or if that is that's just damning it even more but I think it's genuinely quite funny and lovable the fashion is great it's quite awkward and it's quite neurotic which is I guess classic Woody I want to see if I can find any like positive reviews because this film is genuinely considered one of the greats um oh a lot of people complaining about the fact that Annie Hall won best picture at the Oscars the year that Star Wars had come out and that Star Wars should have won it instead um, I don't know. Also, a lot of things, a lot of people using the term mental masturbation in these reviews, I've found. And this mental masturbation term comes from criticism of Keats's poetry, John Keats. And I think, I think it was, um, I think it was Byron, Lord Byron, who used that term to diss Keats. But, you know, that's not necessarily a bad thing, mental masturbation. Um, he's they're basically trying to diss the fact that he's in touch with his emotions or i don't know i guess that's the case with keats maybe less so in this situation maybe they're saying he's just sort of showing off how smart he is i don't know yeah i i really like what else there must be some bits where people are complimenting this bloody film how 
oh, everyone is just being really mean. Everyone is saying mental masturbation and self-entitlement and superiority. Oh, Jesus. Oh, this is so mean. Overflowing with Woody Allen's self of sense of entitlement and superiority over literally every other human being he comes across whilst believing himself to be himself as believing himself as quirky and unique for his simultaneous self-deprecation. Like, this man brings new meaning to the words toxic waste. Jesus Christ. I, I, do you know what? I think a lot of this is based on the fact that people just don't like Woody Allen, which is completely fair enough. But how people... How, is anyone going to say anything nice? Okay, this person gave it four and a half stars. Yes, one might argue that this film is fundamentally based on misogynistic premises and that it's obvi- so obviously in love of itself to make some sick to their stomach. I get it. Yeah, that, I, I appreciate that. Yeah, I agree with that as well. But even being painfully aware of it, I just can't deny the things that this film does best. Starting with the brilliant editing and unconventional storytelling. So that's what I mentioned as well, of how he's sort of creative with the way he tells the story. Um, the photography, but m- most of all, the genius comedic writing. Yeah, it's genuinely funny. Like, the jokes are good. It's not like a comedy that's not, a co- you know, that's supposed to be a comedy, but, like, it's it's too intellectual for you to actually laugh at it. It's one of those convoluted things. This is genuinely, like, really funny, and the acting is amazing. The two clearly get on really well. Okay, here's a good one, but it's a bit long. Ah, oh, what the hell, I'll read it. Annie Hall is a seminal masterpiece, primarily about all the things which go unspoken in a romance, whilst joyfully and poignantly d- dissecting its various components. Woody Allen co-writes, directs, and portrays Alvy Singer, considerably accurate interpretation of himself, complete with his signature self-deprecating fixations. It's one of the most charmingly perfect and humorous entries in his filmography. Alongside Diane Keaton as Annie Hall, in a role written primarily for her, you can tell that it was written for her, to be honest. Um, anyway. Alan delivers astute remarks on affection and love by the way of childhood flashbacks. So that's the Freudian stuff kicking in there with the childhood flashbacks. Sarcastic self-reflective announcements and some excellent fourth wall breaking, together with a string of memorable cameos, including Paul Simon and the screen debut of Sigourney Weaver. I didn't even I don't remember Sigourney Weaver being in there. Damn, she was in it as well. Wow. And this person says that Annie Hall deservedly beat Star Wars. So I don't think that's a very popular review <laughs> um, to say that. How is it she, everybody's saying it's mental masturbation? What the hell? Where, why are people using this specific term? Is this something that people used to refer to everything? Because I've never heard people refer to mental masturbation outside of Keats before. Okay, this person said, I don't know how to feel about this one. I feel almost ashamed to admit how much I love it. The direction and screenplay in some parts are absolutely immaculate. But at the same time, it's impossible to separate art from the artist when the artist is so undeniably entrenched in the art. It's clearly pretentious, and Alan is just jerking himself off the entire time. Equally, though, Diane Keaton is an absolute vision and a god amongst us plebeians, who who wholly make the film so enjoyable. I do feel bad giving such a high score to a movie by a rapist, but I did illegally stream the movie, so balancing the cosmic scales? I too did illegally stream the movie, so... Hey, you're not getting any money from me, Mr. Allen. I think I'm going to stop with the reviews. I'm, But yeah, you know my take on it. I really, really like it. And to be honest, I'm going to probably rewatch it for the third time. Um, but I, I, I appreciate where people are coming from with the disapproval of this film. Um, and I'm definitely feel the same way with his with his more recent stuff. But I, this, like, if I'm going to give Woody Allen any kind of credit for his career, it's going to be for this film. This is the one for me, you know. I absolutely adore it. Yeah, that's my last 
film review film breakdown review thing i guess you want to call it for the rom-coms So I think this episode was quite considerably longer than the previous ones I've done because I'm also going to include little clips from the films, mostly the sound bites of the music. Um, so yeah, it's going to be a bit of a longer one, but I think, you know, we're, we're, we're discussing a bunch of different films here and they're all rom-coms. I don't know. I, I For a long time, I didn't watch any rom-coms because I was like, I'm... I'm a cinephile, I'm watching real movies, I'm watching The Godfather, I wouldn't watch a rom-com, but you know, I do quite like rom-coms and I've been really, it's sort of like a comfort film that I've, genre that I've been leaning into a lot lately, so yeah, I think I might do um, another one of these episodes because there's so many other rom-coms I'd love to talk about, this was only like, mostly the ones I've just watched recently, so I could, I could happily do that if people want to hear that. I, I did this because a few people said to me that they liked my film reviews or whatever it is I was talking about in my other solo episode. So, yeah, I'm sorry it was a bit longer. I don't know if you like that or not. To be fair, though, most of the podcasts that I listen to are around, like, they're always over an hour or they're, like, two hours leaning into three. So, yeah. Suck it if you didn't like it, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah. Thank you for listening. hope you check out some of those rom-coms they're great um huzzah